Today, Pastor Jeff will be preaching um, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'll give you a moment to turn to your Bibles or look it up on your phone. I have my Bible here. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last of time. May God bless the reading of his word. Bible's open because Pastor Jeff will be referencing the text throughout the sermon. And now I'm going to turn over our time to Pastor Jeff. Julian Barnes is a prize-winning novelist. He's also an agnostic. And this quotation, I think, captures a lot. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And that kind of uh, nostalgia, that loneliness, is really a mark of a lot of uh, modern 20th century literature. Samuel Beckett wrote a play, I think it's a masterpiece, uh, back around 1950 or so called Waiting for Godot. Have you heard of that play? G-O-D-O-T, Godot, Waiting for Godot. Two characters just stand around the whole play on stage waiting for Godot. And they're, they're sort of clownish characters. One of them, his name is uh, Vladimir. He goes by Didi. Another one is uh, Estragon. He goes by Gogo. And they play silly games and they, they argue with each other. At one point, in despair, they, they try to commit suicide. They have a rope and they throw it over a tree, but the rope breaks. Well, they're waiting for Godot. Here's the end of, uh, of that play, just the last uh, part of it. Uh, Vladimir says, Gogo, I can't go on like this. Tomorrow, everything will be better. Vladimir says, Godot is sure to come tomorrow. What do you say to that? Then all we have to do is wait here. Vladimir says, wait, are you mad? We must take cover. Come on. And they tussle and they tussle clownishly. He says, remind me to bring a bit of rope tomorrow. Well, shall we go? Yes, let's go. They do not move. Curtain. Waiting for Godot. So I just learned a Welsh word uh, just this last week. Uh, Hiraith, Hiraith, H-I-R, Hiraith. And it means a sense of longing and homesickness. It's a consciousness of being out of your home area. You don't really belong. We might say loneliness. And so many people especially modern people, testify to this sense of loneliness and being out of our element. Does it 
surprise you then that we've got Peter in the text that you've heard all pumped up, all revved up, <laughs> bursting at the seams with hope. There's not much hope in this world. And yet here's Peter who says in chapter Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into living hope. Living hope. Now in the Bible, uh, hope is a full, a very robust concept. It's, uh, when you and I use the word, it's pretty thin. It means a vague, kind of anemic uh, desire for a better tomorrow. Um, we say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope she gets the job. Uh, if you're a Red Sox fan or a baseball fan, do you know about rally caps? <laughs> if our team is down in the bottom of the ninth, I mean, they're just getting slaughtered. You can take your, your baseball hat and basically turn it inside out and wear it that way. And it looks silly, but that's a rally cap. It's a, it's a vague hope, pretty much an empty hope. For a better tomorrow. But in the Bible, when Peter says hope, and, and the rest of the Bible, it is a robust, full concept. You, you could translate confident expectation. Uh, there, there's a confidence. Now, it's not certain because the thing that you're hoping for is still in the future. It's, it's not in hand, and yet there's a confidence, and there's a, that kind of hope. Uh, the psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Peter says we are born again into a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not an anemic hope. It's not a rally cap hope. We are born. Th th this, this characterizes us. That we are born anew into a living hope. So the question is, how do we get that? I want it. I tend toward the melancholy disposition. I'm more of an Eeyore than a Tigger or a Winnie the Pooh. And the Bible says that we can have hope because of the resurrection. Welcome to Easter. Verse 3, once again, we've been born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through, on account of, uh, uh, by virtue of the resurrection of Christ. Now, here's the idea. When Jesus died, Good Friday, Silent Saturday, Things were looking real hopeless. You remember, they beat him up. They mauled him. While he was on the cross, they, they made fun of him. They mocked him. Remember, this was an honor-shame culture. It was, like, it was like psychological torture as well as physical torture. Everybody, uh, everybody ran away. And that little glowing ember of hope was pretty much doused. It was so cool you could pick it up in your bare hand. You remember. And then weird things started happening. 
the stone was rolled away. Well, what in the world was that about? It was a big stone. Who, who in the world did that? And plus, it was, uh, it was sealed or marked by the authority of Rome. You, you, you couldn't move that thing without getting yourself in a whole bunch of trouble. Oh, man, what, what is this weird thing? And then remember, the ladies, the, the women, they, they had this wild report. Well, all right, whatever. Wish fulfillment. But there's a, a little, uh, that, that, that ember started to, started to glow a little bit. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and look at this. It's empty. What? Somebody stole the body. What would they do that for? This is, and they went back, back to their place, and they locked the doors. The Bible says, remember, Jesus came and stood among them. And that little ember is glowing and catching fire again. And then uh, Thomas, Thomas wasn't there that first time, but then he was there a week later. And, uh, and Jesus said, well, here I am, Thomas. And the, the ember starts glowing. Do you remember? They, uh, they went to Galilee. It was like, uh, like 90 miles away, way up north in Israel. And Jesus appeared to them there. And the little ember of hope is glowing red hot again. Because he rose. And what they thought was tragedy, and in a sense was tragedy, boy, that thing turned on a dime, didn't it? Okay, we are born again through, into living hope through the resurrection of Christ. Now here's the idea. We who believe in Jesus, do you believe in Jesus? If you do, you are in union with Christ. Union with Christ. His death is somehow becomes our death and transferred to, to us. He paid for sins, even though he had never sinned. He paid for our sins. He was buried. We were buried with him. He rose. We rose with him. He, he ascended. He, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We are seated there in the heavenlies with him. And so Peter links his hope not to circumstances, not to, you know, put on your rally cap. Not to, he, he links it to this historical fact of Jesus Christ. Jesus rose, and we're connected to that in some way, some spiritual uh, union with Christ uh, connection. Picture uh, if you have a book. And you have somebody that has the power to, to raise that book. But inside the book, or, or I should say outside the book, might be something like a, a guitar pick. And this guitar pick, follow my illustration here, has a desire to be raised and to be seated in the heavenlies. But in itself, it doesn't have the power to do that. It's just inert. It just sits there inert. But this is being raised by the power of someone. So if your guitar pick wants to get raised, then you better be in Christ. And then when he is raised, you are raised with him. The doctrine of union with Christ. And that's why Peter's all pumped up. That's what he's talking about here. We are born again into hope through, on account of, uh, by means of, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so even in trials, we have that little ember of steady warmth and glowing hope. Now, I don't mean to be 
flippant about trials. I mean, COVID-19 and you name it, because all the other trials of life are continuing. I, I totally get that. I have a pay cut that started on Friday, so I understand in my own little way. But even in the midst of trials, there is this glowing ember of hope, and it cannot be doused. It is like the little uh, fire smoldering at the bottom of the wood pile. You can, you can put yard debris on top of it. And you can even use the hose on it, but it, it still continues to, to work. And it is there, and we have been born again into this living hope. We are born again into this hope because of a living Savior. Living hope, living Savior. Now, the Bible, our passage also says, it puts it in a different way. It says we're born again into an inheritance. That's an interesting image. It's similar to living hope. But what does that mean? This is verse, uh, the next verse, verse 4. You are born again through the resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance. Well, an inheritance, you, you know the concept. It means the stuff you're going to get later, the, the, uh, the property and, you know, anything that somebody has willed to you. And we are born again into an inheritance. Still future, although we get a foretaste even now here on earth. But he is bristling with hope because of his inheritance. So what does it mean? It means salvation in the full-orbed uh, sense of the word. So Jesus died and rose. We died with him and will rise. He has a new body. We will have a new body, a glorified body. Not just our bodies, but all of creation is being redeemed and will be remade. And this is salvation in the full orbs. This is our inheritance the full-orbed sense that he's talking about. And he says, it's waiting for us. It's waiting for us. Take hope. You have an inheritance. The glory of that future state is awaiting you. But somebody says, hang on, hang on, hang on, Pastor Jeff, hang on. I'm no attorney, uh, but I've been around long enough to know that inheritances are not certain. They're often contested and there's offering their family squabbles and all of that. You can contest an inheritance because of incompetence. You know, the person who makes the will has to be of sound mind. And if the person made the will, but they're not of sound mind, then it can be contested later. They didn't know what they were doing. An inheritance can be contested because of ambiguous language. You just can't tell exactly what their, the will of the, the, uh, the one making the, 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 the will was. Uh, an inheritance can be contested because of what they call undue influence. Somebody influences the one making the will. You know, puts a lot of pressure on them. Like maybe the son says to the aging mother, hey, you better put me back in the will. You better give me the big portion of the will or I'm going to slam you in the nursing home. And so that invalidates it. If it can be proved, that's called undue influence. But here... In our text, God knows all this stuff. He knows about this fallen world. And he sent me here today to tell you that you have an inheritance based on his word. It is guaranteed. He has made a covenant with you, a new covenant with you. He has signed it. You have the document in your hands. You have the word of God, the promise of God. 
and he is of sound mind. He knew what he was doing when he made this will. He uh, does not use ambiguous language. This passage is very clear. You have an inheritance. It's waiting for you. There was no undue influence. He, uh, he acts according to the counsel of his own will. Nobody tells him what to do. And so you have an inheritance. Take hope, even in the midst of trials. Notice how he describes uh, the inheritance. There are actually four words. Did, did you pick them out? Here, look at it again in your Bible. It's in verse 4. We're born again uh, into hope, into an inheritance. That is, number one, imperishable. Number two, undefiled. Number three, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So four words here. First one, imperishable. Imperishable, can't perish. There's no expiration date on it. Do you ever... Do you ever have stuff in the back of your refrigerator that has perished? <laughs> oh, boy. A couple of weeks ago, we had some spinach. I guess we didn't know it was there, and it turned into this, this gloopy, gloppy green, kind of like a dark green smoothie, but we weren't going to try it. But this is imperishable, this inheritance that you have. Then he says it's undefiled. That's a, um, that's a religious word. That's a ceremonial word that deals like with the sacrifices, like an innocent lamb, undefiled, like a perfect, uh, perfect lamb. There's nothing wrong with it, no broken bones or anything. And he says your inheritance is, is perfect. It's undefiled. And then there is unfading, the third word. Uh, unfading. It's not going to fade. Uh, it's not going to wear out. It won't become dull and fade. I wonder if you're familiar with Da Vinci's uh, great masterpiece, The Last Supper. Some people say it's the, the greatest work of art ever, at least in the Western world. And did you know he painted that, what was it, like 500 years ago? Did you know that it started fading <laughs> almost immediately? He used an experimental paint. He would create his own paints, and he thought it would work. It didn't, it didn't work well. He painted it on the wall of a refractory. That means like a, a dining hall for, in a monastery. And, you know, the moisture in the atmosphere, it started fading and, you know, cracking and everything right away. Recently, or within the last few years, they restored it, and that was a big controversy should they retouch the masterpiece. But my point is, his masterpiece faded but God's masterpiece is unfading. It is as pure and as pristine and as clear as the day that he gives it to us. So those are three words. How about the fourth word? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Those are all negative words. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Then here's the fourth one, kept. It is kept. It is it is, uh, the next verse says, it is guarded, kept in heaven for you. Fort Knox uh, is the uh, colloquial name, the, the sort of the nickname for the U.S. Bullion Depository. It may be the safest place on earth. There's $137 billion <laughs> of gold behind a door that weighs 22 tons. Uh, the combination to the door is given to 10 different people. Nobody has 
the whole combination. It takes 10 people to open that door. Each person knows only part of the code. And look, even if you get in, you ain't going very far. There are armed guards, there are infrared detectors outside, there's Apache helicopters. In the height of World War II, they kept the Magna Carta there in Fort Knox, they kept the Declaration of Independence, they kept a copy of uh, the Gettysburg Address, and they had a Gutenberg Bible there. So I'm here to tell you, Fort Knox ain't got nothing on the safekeeping of your inheritance. That word kept in Greek is, uh, they call it the perfect tense. And the idea is that it happened in the past, but it has ongoing uh, consequences. It's, it's like it, it, it seeps and bleeds into the present and into the future. Your inheritance is being kept. And that's continuing to this day by the power of God. So take hope. We are born again into a living hope because of our living Savior through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now your salvation is near at hand because of what Jesus did. That's what verse 5 says. Uh, we who uh, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Our salvation is ready. It's standing at the door. It is ready to be revealed, unveiled. It is at hand. I know that it's hard now, all of our trials. I know that Peter's people had trials, but we take hope because Jesus is alive and we have an inheritance in heaven. And this is what we're born again into, confident expectation. So, what do we say to Julian Barnes, the fellow that says he, he misses God? Maybe we say to him, we understand. We are exiles here in this earth. There is a sense of he wraith, longing, homesickness, Peter addresses his letter to uh, verse in verse 1 to the elect exiles in the dispersion. <laughs> elect exiles. Yeah, that's right. That's who we are. Dispersed. So we say to Julian Barnes, yeah, yeah, I know. I get it. I feel it. Trials, emptiness, it's part of the human condition. And we also say there's a little glowing ember, hope, even in this world. If you know him, if you believe in him, if you're in union with Christ with him, that hope can be yours. So what do we say to uh, Samuel Beckett, you know, waiting for Godot? Well, uh, we might say, uh, well, he came. <laughs> Did you miss him? But if you believe in him, even now, in a sense, he comes to you. He can be born again in your heart, or you can be born again in him. And by the way, he's coming again. Don't miss him the second time around. Are you ready? Believe in him, and you can be born again into living
hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, number three, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Through Christ our Lord. <laughs>